internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here today with Gina Panateri of Talcott Notch, and she is a literary agent. She is a wonderful woman. She's a great mom. She's a military mom. She wears all these hats, and she's the one that I go to to find out what is happening in the publishing industry, because as we come back to well, I can't say normal, and I don't want to say a new normal because the new normal seems to change like every week. Um, we're coming back to whatever is from the pandemic. It's affecting every aspect of our lives. And I would imagine that it's affecting the publishing industry because I've done a whole bunch of interviews, audible interviews recently. And I heard from many authors that the pandemic either flourished their writing or completely shut it down, the grief that is associated with loss, whether it's a loss of a loved one, loss of career, loss of home, loss of whatever, um, seem to shut some writers down, seem to fuel some others. So I can't imagine the publishing industry is any different. No, um, from the from the start, when, when, it first, when it first, you know, occurred and we were shut down, everyone just kind of wandered around. They didn't know what we were doing. What are we doing? Um, we didn't know how to work. They figured that out over the two years, two and a half years, we figured out how to continue to work. But now we we have these, these new challenges because um, we've got editors who are buying books. We've got writers who are, who are writing books, but we have supply chain problems that start um, with paper. I mean, during the pandemic, everyone used a lot of paper. Paper was like, mm. it was like gold. Um, and at the same time where we're using more, we weren't producing more because we for, we have a heavy reliance on, on offshore. Uh, we have a heavy reliance on, you know, certain paper mills that got shut down because of the pandemic. They had, they had cases in, inside. Yeah. So we had a shortage of workers. They weren't able to keep up to speed. So things got behind. So right from the beginning, from paper, to printing and all of our printing is being done offshore. Almost all of our printing is being done in China. So you can imagine that, you know, but you've all seen the ships that are just like lined up, you know, waiting to come through, you know, one straight or lined up in San Diego Harbor. Everything has gotten slowed down. Now I think, I think China, they're just like, it, the docks are just shut down entirely. So nothing is moving. So we kept getting, delays we were you know we'd, we'd have a due date okay we had our due date yeah we're gonna you know our uh, we're, we're zooming toward our pub date we're gonna gear up our promotion they're like whoa hold it um you know we're actually gonna have to push your pub date back oh um, wow so, so the right so you're getting all geared up you're like no no we're not gonna do it so first the first thing they did was they pushed last year they pushed everybody back from spring to fall they're like well this should be this should be cleared up you know so they pushed things back about six months um, and the big books all came out in the fall. So we had like a year's worth of big books that all came out in one season. What's a big book? What, what uh, is A big book that we, would be one that we'd been anticipating by a big star. Oh, I thought I was thinking like a big book, like an atlas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a big book. Uh, no, like if, if they would hold that book that was going to make all the money for the publishing house, that was going to be, you know, really necessary to put them over the top, like the, the next, you know, big stars. Gotcha. Book. Big launch um, book. Right. So they like put those off. They put them all off and we had them all come out in like one, one time and it was bedlam. Um, but now we're still getting that. I'm, we're still we're still kind of like inching along where they're not quite sure if we're going to hit our targets. Um, they're not quite sure if they can reliably uh, put that book out on that date. So everything's ah. kind of everything's very kind of loose. What some smart publishers are doing is they're dividing up their print run. They're finding American printers uh, uh -huh. to do their printing. Um, and they're dividing their their print runs up among here's some here, some here, some here, um, so that if one of those 
printers is running late, if one of them gets a sh has to shut down, or if one of them, you know, has a shortage, um, we can still get part of our print run in from this other person. Um, so they're trying, they're being very, you know, like source books is a super example. They're super nimble. Um, you know, let's not let's not just rely on one printer. Let's let's have three, um, and that I think can turn things around. But we're still having issues, and I think. Um, uh, people do probably don't see that on the outside if you're if you're looking unless you follow this author really closely and you saw a, a pub date announced and all of a sudden it's like no 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 <laughs> that's actually going to be six months later um but but we've been we've been trying to figure it out as we go along we're figuring out public appearances um is it safe to do them will people come out for them um you know how do we handle our promotion people have a little bit of of fatigue they have a little bit of virtual fatigue so you know they we at first we did virtual book signings you know people and we had virtual uh you know meet the authors and we did that for you know a year year and a half that worked pretty well and then people got a little fatigued with that we're anxious to get back to getting together in person people are really really anxious to do that um so the publishers are you know they're a little scared they're like if we put a lot of money into this event for june you know are people going to come or is there going to be another surge so that's uh -huh. made that's made things a little unreliable they don't want to commit a lot of money to an event unless they're sure and who could be sure today we don't know right. we just right we don't know right so um you know so that's created a lot of kind of you know we need patience we have to be patient it's like yes. the word of the day is we have to be patient um continue to support your favorite authors you know like stay on top of their their pub dates um find out what they are doing as far as appearances is concerned um you know and give them that feedback because it's been a little frustrating trying to figure it out but we are we're getting there I, i'm hoping you know i think dr fauci had said that the pandemic era has right has, has ended. ended right Gina, as we talk about the changes in the publishing industry post-COVID, and you would know better than anyone as the owner and operator of Talcott Notch, it's got to be stressful to have so many delays with shipping and the books that are printed in China that can't get here. And I'm going to just jump in here for a minute because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor because our sponsor actually helps you sleep longer, sleep deeper, it reduces stress levels, and it helps you feel calm. And our sponsor today are the folks at BioOptimizer. They've done it again because they've just released their new and improved formula for Magnesium Breakthrough, which is the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today and the product was already amazing but they have this new fourth generation formula which means that magnesium breakthrough is now even more potent and effective for reducing stress improving sleep and boosting energy levels and if you've already taken magnesium breakthrough you'll want to follow up with this new formula as soon as you can because it now includes cofactors like b6 and manganese that will help with the absorption of magnesium and boy if you've never tried magnesium breakthrough before now is the perfect time to try it. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what Dr. Mark Circus says, that there's only going to be one answer, and that answer is magnesium. And why does he say that? Two very important reasons. First, magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions. And second, about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium. And this is a much bigger problem than most people think. And with every bottle of magnesium breakthrough, you'll get seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically improve your health. And that means it helps you sleep longer and deeper. It reduces your stress levels and it helps you feel calm and gives you that abundant all-day energy to win at life. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you finally feel like yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood and your energy level and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. So for an exclusive offer, for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash coach talk and use coach talk during the checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. Oh, and one last thing, if you want your loved ones to be healthier, consider giving them the gift of health. Give them magnesium breakthrough for Father's Day, for a spring birthday, for college graduation, for college finals. I mean, this is really a great gift. And again, that special link is magbreakthrough.com slash coach talk. That's magbreakthrough.com slash coach talk 
Talk and use Coach Talk during the checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. Now we're talking today with Gina Panettieri and we're talking about all the different changes that have happened in the publishing industry since COVID and since we're coming out of COVID and how things are still, you know, stressful and things are still delayed. It'll always probably be with us. We just have to, we just have to learn to deal with it. So I think people are going, people are going to conferences. I, um, uh, they're going to the Edgars this this week. They're going. They just finished Smells Domestic, you know. So their people are going out to conferences again. They're anxious to see their friends. Um, I'm really hoping for a good second half of 2022, and thinking like that we may be able to get back to normal. It may still be a little difficult with 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 printing. We need to be more reliant. This was the mistake of so many people was we can save money if we offshore print everything. Right. And that was a big mistake because now we, we've learned our lesson. We need to rely more on our own manufacturing here in the U.S. We need to bring it home. Hey, Gina, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because now we're talking about bringing things home. And I'm going to tell you, I got something you need to bring home because it is so much fun. And it's also our sponsor today. Our sponsor today is Best Fiends. And Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. And I play this all the time. I play it at home. I play it at work. I play it when I'm waiting for contracts. It's a great brain buster. It's a great reliever of all the things that are going on right now. And it's super easy to pick up and play a few levels anytime. And I am well over level 350, which gives you an idea of how many times I play this. And it's the time that I let myself have some fun. I work really hard. I run my own company. I take care of my kids. I take care of my dad. And I deserve way more. And I add joy to my daily crazy routine with Best Fiends. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your teams of fiends to defeat menacing slugs. And my gosh, I have to tell you, beating up slugs, super, super fun. And with offline play, you'll never be stranded without the fun, even if you lose your internet connection. And there are brand new events and challenges that pop up all year round and these guys are so cute and the music is fun and you've always got a chance to earn exclusive in-game items characters and rewards so what's not to love and you've earned your fun time so go to the app store or google play to download best fiends for free plus earn even more with five dollars worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five that's friends without the r best fiends friends without the r now we're talking today with gina panettieri of talcott notch and we're talking about bringing things home especially in the publishing industry. You know, kind of how all this overseas thing has really messed up the publishing industry and the printing industry, which is intimately tied. We need to bring it home um, and do our own work here so that we don't have to worry about whether or not a country's shut down or we, we've lost relations with them or whatever's right. going on. We need to be able to be self-reliant in our manufacturing. So I think more publishers are queuing into that um, finding, you know, their way back to this. It's a little more expensive, of course it is, um, but I think that the volume of business we're going to be able to bring them is going to bring that price back down again. Because, you know, of course it's expensive when you don't use them much. It's when, you know, right. um, get back to using them all the time and then we'll, we'll get good good piece prices. So we're, get, we're getting there. Um, well, and I think, it, you know, there's hard. the option between digital and print. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I really like a book, if I buy it, I have to have it in both because I like to travel with my Kindle. I'm not sure what I'm feeling like reading. So I have to have everything, yeah. you know, in my device. But I also, if I really love a book, like I read The Cottage or something by Viola Somebody this weekend, and it was, uh -huh. I picked it up in a $10 pile at the bookstore because what I yeah. found is I've been buying what they have. Mm -hmm. So I'm being exposed to new authors or authors maybe that I would not have considered before because their stuff is still in the bookstore, still on the shelves. Yeah. Um, I find that was very interesting because there are times when I really want a, a physical book. I'm tired of looking at a screen. Print sales are way up. Um, people found their way back to the bookstore. Um, the beginning of this year, people were back in, in, in droves and print sales are through the roof. And everyone is very excited. And that's created um, a new opportunity for like Barnes and Noble. They're opening new stores, which 
two years ago, we would never have predicted that, that they were going to see a resurgence and be able to open new stores. Um, so we're very excited about that. Indie stores are, are, are you know, they're getting a foothold again and they're, and they're surging. And um, people are enjoying that bookstore experience yes. in, in different ways. And I thought I read, I read a survey uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was asking people, why do you use a physical bookstore? You know, like you can order anything you want. And some of the answers surprised me. Uh, people, uh, people, millennials um, and, and older were nostalgic for the bookstores they remember growing up with. Very you know? much so. We want to get out there. We want to browse the aisles. We want to take our time. We want to talk with the clerks. We want to, you know, that's, that is a very strong uh, drive and nostalgia in all things, not just in bookstores. I think, you know, if, if you're familiar with that cottage core movement, people are kind of yearning for a simpler life. There you go. <laughs> I went and bought some of my favorite childhood books. This yes, is Jenny and the Cat Club by Esther Averill. You know, it's a kid's book. Yes, so yes. you're right on with that nostalgia because I think nostalgic items are certain. There's a certainty to them. You know, yes. we live in very uncertain times, so we're uncertain whether we'll have whatever we need at the grocery store. We're uncertain whatever the prices are going to be at the pump. We're uncertain mm -hmm. if we're going to be able to travel. Like the one thing the pandemic did was it turned us upside down and really challenged our levels of certainty. And uh, Alison Carmen wrote an article recently for the Daily Beast, and she talked about the surge in people watching reruns. And why would they rot oh rerun? Yeah. And she connected because she wrote, you know, I love her. And she wrote one of my favorite books, The Gift of Maybe. She identified that it was our need for certainty to go back and watch wow. something that we know we can count on. We can watch an old friends or an old Will and Grace and we know we're going to laugh. We know we're not going to be upset by an unexpected death. You know, even me, I went back and I was watching old NCIS during the pandemic because I loved yeah. it. You know, what's not to love? Mark Harmon's so cute. You know, we just um, enjoy every bit of it. But I know Kate's going to die at the end of season one or two. So I'm prepared for that. I know Ziva's going to leave. Like, you know, mm -hmm. Ross and Rachel and friends, I know they're going to eventually get back together, even though they were on a break. Um, <laughs> you know, these things yeah. we know are certain. And I think part of that certainty, and I find it myself going back and buying my childhood favorite Jenny and the Cat Club and making sure it was bound the way I liked it, not a like a paperback, because yeah. I want to keep this because this yeah. reminds me of better days. It reminds me of certainty. And I can watch Jenny go down the fire pole and be with her little cat friends and have that feeling of peace. What else can give us that other than nostalgic books, right. products, and, and reruns? Well, the interesting thing they found with young bookstore patrons, we're talking the teens into the, into the early 20s, was these people, these youngsters, were going to the bookstore to have an environment where the internet was not a part of it. They could get away from that constant digital noise. And they felt, it's really interesting that, you know, because you always think of the teens like the kid with all the phone and you can't get them right. off the phone. And yet here they were, they were yearning for a place where they could disconnect. Interesting. And bookstores provide that. You, it's quiet. It's it's physical. Um, there's not, you don't have competing. Well, you do have competing books. I mean, I want to buy all the books, but <laughs> you know, you don't have a bunch of things screaming in your ear for your attention. You can focus and be calm and centered. Yes. And I thought that's fascinating. I think we need to listen to young people about their need to disconnect, you know, and, and provide them those quiet spaces and bookstores do that. And this one, my favorite place ever, I, I love Dollywood. I don't know if you've been, no. but she's worked quiet spaces into what amusement park is quiet spaces this was so thoughtful this was a place where there's low stimulation it's peaceful you can stretch out it that was brilliant and i thought that was so considerate and i think we need to really get that with young people they need that and maybe we're not providing enough of it. are you kidding we need that like everyone needs that. You know, my favorite thing, I have two places that I go when I'm, three places I go when I'm completely overwhelmed. 
One mm-hmm. certain overwhelm sends me to Staples and I walk around Staples and I look at the folders and I look mm-hmm. at the files and I look at the pens until I can calm myself down. And that's usually when a big job comes in and I'm like, oh, can I do this? I'm nervous and frightened. Like this is a new yeah. arena for me. I'm expanding, growing, whatever. I go to Staples. Then huh? when I'm worried about like maybe a first date or I have an event coming up and I'm, you know, or I'm redoing something household domestic. I go to TJ Maxx and I wander around and look at pretty things or home goods, which is TJ Maxx for home, but that's my place to go. Well, when I am intellectually overwhelmed, like overstimulated from emails and I laugh because I remember when I was doing this military job, my friend Rick said, Hey, give me your phone. And he gave me my phone. And every time an email went in it was a gunshot and it would go and like after like two days I'm like Rick take this off my phone because the text would come in as gunshot and this the the emails would come in as a sonar ping like bong like Uh a submarine ping Uh I was so stressed out I'm like I'm like get in the office I'm like take whatever you took off my phone and set it back because it's killing me and so when I'm in intellectual overwhelm there's no better place than a bookstore and i walk along the titles and i think of them as friends and i'll come across a book i haven't read as a while hi old friend you know and the covers are pretty because the covers i was talking to paula munier today and you guys need to check out her book the wedding plot that's coming out in july because the cover is beautiful and just like people used to look at albums you know in the 70s and 80s oh look at the album or look at the cd cover look at the art on this there is like a bookstore to me is like an art gallery full of covers. That is really interesting because when we first were given a cover, a draft of a cover for that book, we didn't like it. That it wasn't the cover mm-hmm. that you see. We fought for that cover because there's been a trend in covers lately to have them be sort of like photo- photographs, you know, and they just, to me, it's just, it doesn't have the same feel to me as a painting. Um, and back in the day, I mean, like, you know, back in the, the day, when I first got started in this industry, my authors would sometimes buy the paintings of their covers and they were so, they were just, they were so beautiful. They, and I think Paula's are absolutely gorgeous. We definitely, we kicked in or I kicked our heels and we said that we want the theme. We want to have it be the whole series feel the same. We don't want a, a shift in how the covers feel. We want because when I think of her series, I think the Mercy Car series, it's again, small town, family and friends, dogs, um, you know, quiet country living, um, you know, so everything should reflect that. The covers should reflect that feeling. And I find it to be very peaceful. Um, and I, I, I've told her, I said, I think all of your readers, Paula, are going to want to go live in Mercy Carr's cottage. <laughs> right. Well, not only do we want to go in there, but I, I can tell you, I don't like the trend of the the cover, the photograph cover. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I think it looks cheap. And if you want me to spend, you know, 15, 18, sometimes 25, $30 for a book, I don't want it to look cheap. Number one. Number two, the biggest thing with a book is you're creating a story world. And for me to get into the story world, I can't get in through a photograph. It's too real. There's too much realism in the photograph. But when you look at a a cover, like the one I'm reading right now, Mm -hmm. I read like a book a day. And this one is a Robin Carr old one, The House on Olive Street. And it has what looks like a photograph on the front, but it's a soft painting-y version of it. So it's a version of reality, but it's the story world. And when I look Mm -hmm. at at, at when I look at Paula's cover, I'm drawn into her story world. I'm not given a cookbook. Like, you know, that's the thing. Like a cookbook has a, you want to see what the food is you look like. You don't want story yeah. world food. Yeah. But, yeah. and cookbooks should have big glossy pictures. And when I see books that have that, that cover that's a photograph, I'm like, it's a flipping cookbook. It reminds me of cheap reality TV and it's a huge turn. Oh, that's a good analogy. We, you know, we're working through covers right now. It's, it's an interesting process. We have one of my, one of my clients, and um, we sold a couple of books to uh, Hachette and they asked him, and I thought this was great. They said, just give us a, a grid of covers that you like and covers that you don't like. 
Um, and, you know, and, and we'll kind of, you know, we'll try to find something that, that you, you agree with. I think it's really important, but th those photographic covers apparently are, I guess they're super popular with certain younger, especially younger readers. And I'm kind of wondering if it was that kind of growing up with reality TV, uh, you know, that, that kind of created that, that, that taste. Um, but, you know, he's, he dug in his heels too. And we got, we got beautiful covers. So I, I think it's really important. I do like, you're right, going to the bookstore and, and it's, it's just, your, it's a very sensual experience. You have this very visual um, and I'm drawn to covers and it's really fun to get into a conversation with the publisher about what draws a reader's eye, what catches their eye and brings them in and makes them, you know, we need to come into the relationship positive right from that first get go, what, what grabs their attention. Um, and you, you often see in the trade magazines, there'll be discussions about trending, like trend, trends in covers. There are certain looks that, that are seasonal and there'll be covers that are, you know, colors or fonts or something um, that, that suddenly take over and then become like super, super popular. So, but I think it's very important that an author or at least an author within a series or a franchise has a certain unity of of appearance. I, I can yes. walk past and I will see a, a, and I'll say, okay, that's a Paula Meunier. That's that definitely yes. looks like her. Well, and it's like her. you say with this Viola Shipman, I didn't know who Viola Shipman was, you know, to save my life. Right. But I turned on I was walking out of the bookstore. I had an armload of books of things I had gone in intending to buy and wanting to read. I was standing in line and my eye looked down and there was like a $10, you know how they have like in some of the bookstores, I got the $10 yeah. bin or whatever. So I looked down there and I see this book, The Summer Cottage, and it's got a sunset and it's got the porch. And, you know, it's funny when I went on to Target, I saw the same book in Target on Target.com, different cover. So I'm like, huh. So Amazon huh. has one cover bar. Barnes and Noble has one cover and the other one has a cover. Um, they have two different covers. And so I don't know why that is, but I will tell you, I picked up one cover because I liked it. And when I looked at the other cover and I'm just going to pop over and I'm going to screen share while we're talking. I know you guys can't see this, but you guys can go ahead and look up Viola Shipman and you can see two covers. One is more of a purpley, you know, purpley thing. And the other one looks more like like the Michigan coast and where it's said. I would not have picked up the purple version, but I definitely picked up this without knowing who she is. It evoked a mood. There's a girl in yeah. a hammock. She's yeah. relaxing. I can see the water. I can see the trees. I can see a porch. And it sent me into this place. Um, and if you look down here on Goodreads, you know, we're looking at kind of variations on a theme. And oh, I'm not getting that the screen shares the raw, not showing the correct thing here for some oh, reason. Okay, sorry. sorry. So here we are. I'm trying to do too many things at month, do a radio show and do a screen share so I can show you. Um, but if you look at these, can you see it now? If you guys just now look I, under yes. Viola. Yes. V-I-O-L-A, cottage, C-O-T-T-A-G-E, hmm. book. And now we don't even know Viola. Viola has not, you know, paid to be on this show. But if you look, you can see how her, you know, the same book has multiple different covers. You're and, right. you know, yeah. the German cover has a different look, you know. Um, and it just is interesting to me because when you go and you look at Paula Mounier's books, let's go over to Paula, and we both know Paula and we love her books. <laughs> and you guys should look them up. Uh, M-U-N-I-U-R, right? M-U-N-I-E-R. -E so yeah, yes. M-U-N-I-E-R. So I want you guys to look up Paula Mounier book and go to images and mm -hmm. you'll see how, you know, you'll see her books on here and they do, they have kind of a certain look for her fiction and they're different colors and they all, I love that they all have a dog on the cover because we love that. Um, but they have the story world. They immediately draw you into the story world. Mm -hmm. And the story world is truly a story world. It's not a story trying to be a, um, like when I look at the, the photo covers, those try to be more contemporary. Paula's yes. are a full story world. Viola, mm -hmm. what was her last name? Viola? Shipman? Shipman, Viola's stories are a full story world. You actually step into this beautiful, magical, wonderful, scary place. 
and you don't get that i think with when you're talking about the photo covers they're more social media driven contemporary fiction mm -hmm. yeah you know what's really interesting is <laughs> kind of we're finding not me necessarily but a, a lot of a lot of uh a lot of agents and editors are finding new authors on tiktok or book talk oh. um and it's we are very social media driven you know that's that's where people are kind of finding their their new interests they they uh, find people they follow and they become very attached to them um and amy collins who you're going to be interviewing has signed a couple of tiktok stars uh for books and you know that you know not first of all nonfiction, mostly just they're talking about the stories whatever they're doing on yeah. their TikTok. you know from and that those are the kind of people who come on and they're they're day to day to day um kind of journaling their lives on on TikTok, or they're they're doing they're writing or they're showing their their bit by bit they're revealing their books um and those are you know it's a different kind of thing so i'm very curious um, how that's going to project in the future, where we're going, where we're going to go yeah. with that. Um, at first it was, we had people who were um, self-publishing their, their books um, on, on eBooks and, and some of them, and we found some new authors and, you know, that became the thing. Um, now we're finding people where they're, they're kind of like finding them in, in TikTok, but making them authors. They're not authors to start with. They're, they're becoming authors because of their social media exposure. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how that's going to play out over the long, over the long term. Um, you know, if it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing, I think, you know, so I found some fascinating people. There are some really interesting stories um, that are, that are coming out on social media. Um, people have, you know, people who honestly have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, or have just an interesting life experience that they're documenting. Um, so as long as it's not like like Real Housewives or <laughs> something. So, or, something. Or what is it that, that I'm living at home with my seven children and we live in like 800 square feet and I homeschool them and, you know, we live a better life than you. Those are the ones that get on my nerves. But I do well, look at them, you know, I will watch them. A, lot of, a lot of social media is is that it's it's yeah. trying to make you think that they have a, a better life than you. Um, and we all saw how that that has fallen apart <laughs> from, from people who've had reality television shows. Um, so, it's, you know, I'm, I'm I, we all we find authors in different places. We find they, they kind of come to us um, from different places. Sometimes it's it's a, a newspaper article that they wrote or an event that happened to them that was covered uh, in the news, you know, and you're like, wow, that was, that was fascinating. Maybe we, maybe there's a book in there. Right. Um, so, and we, sometimes we go to them and we suggest, I really think that this would make a fascinating, a fascinating book. Um, you know, so would you, would you be interested? And uh, sometimes they say yes. And sometimes they're like, no, I don't want to go there. Um, but you know, I went like, I, I, I'm a big fan of this place in New Hampshire, Paul and I both have a place in New Hampshire, and it was called it's called Clark's Bears, Clark's Trading Post, and this family. Oh, sure. Have you known them? They're yes. amazing. I love I love Maureen and Murray Clark. Um, for generations, they've been raising orphaned bears. Yes. And some of them perform. They they, they but they're they have they're part of the family. They they grow up in the house. Right. They um, walk around like it's cool. Right. So I was like, I was like, I'm trying to get them to agree to, 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 do, to have, have a book done about just their life living with bears, not the history of Clark's so much as the experience of being children raised alongside bears in your home. Well, and I think, you know, you're on to something there because I don't know if you remember the Little Bear series. I'm trying to think who wrote them. They were my favorite. They were a little bear family. Um, and that was made into a movie and they made the bear's voice like really awful. Um, but bears are hot. Bears are a big, they're, they're a big, big draw. Almost every season, there's a, there's a number of huge hit picture books that, that feature bears. Um, and I, when I listen to their stories, they tell such great stories about, about rescuing these bears and, and, and having them living in the kitchen, you know, yes. and, and, you know, your your brother is a bear you know? like, right like anthropomorphizing this little bear that moves into the family which is really the they're they're like the real life paddington bear yeah i think it's fascinating so so i i have at times approached people 
and said, I think you've got a story. I think you've got a, a book in, in, in here. Um, do you want to talk about it and see if there's something, you know, something there that, that you'd like to do? So, you know, sometimes authors come to us in, in very unique ways. Sure. Um, but, you know, and I think the pandemic, I, I saw more people writing during the pandemic. You're, you were right. Uh, like you said at the beginning, some people found it just soul crushing and they, their creativity was just really stifled. And other people uh, found, first they had the time, they'd never had the time yes. before. So they were writing because they had the time or they were journaling and things grew out of the journaling or, or you know, they just, they, they were stimulated in different ways to, to, to their creativity. So um, I know every agent that I, that I deal with said, we got more submissions during the pandemic than, than ever, ever before. The whole world, you know, suddenly thought, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to, I'm going to write through this. Um, you know, some of our authors, you know, needed, needed handholding, we needed to work through it. They were, it was hard. Isolation was hard. Um, uh, the, the demands of having the kids home all the time, instead sure. of school, that was super hard. Um, but, but for the most part, I think it helped people like look inside themselves a bit more, which yeah. is really essential, an essential part of being an author, being a writer is the ability to really examine yourself and examine your world. Um, and I think it allowed us to slow down enough. Some of us, yeah. those in healthcare, not so much, but you know. Well, or in digital media, you know, the yeah. demand for digital media, you know, my shows went yeah. into demand, you know, production demand. And I, mm -hmm. we had more, like you had more um, people querying you with, you know, whatever synopsis is letters, you know, giving you submissions. Mm -hmm. I had a record number. I remember one day I had over 400 emails come in to request to be on the shows. And I'm like, we can't even keep up with the, you know, they all go in this email pile. And then, and, you know, unfortunately, and this may happen to you, I kind of skimmed through the subject line because I literally yeah. could take all day and yeah. read through all of these submissions and get nothing done but read submissions and they're yes. digital we're only looking at you know here's my book here's my idea here's my topic here's my company here's my whatever um yeah. and then i ended up having people feed through my emails going what looks viable yeah because yeah, i think that's true that's, we all we all kind of got overwhelmed and mm -hmm. a lot and you you might have seen on social media a lot of editors we're kind of talking about burnout. Um, I yes. think a lot of us, you know, we when we work from home and, and you work from home in, in, in many ways all the time, um, we lose our boundaries. Yes. And um, we stop delineating between work time and personal time. Yes. And this can lead to burnout. If you can't step away from your work and, and, and just chill, um, you, you, you can get burned out. And um, I think a lot of us during the pandemic, um, we found ourselves answering emails at 11 o'clock at night or oh. agreeing to take a phone call at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and weekends, holidays, people were like, well, you're home. <laughs> you know? so why, why, why does it matter to you? If, you know? So right. I think that was hard. And then we had editors, younger editors with kids at home. They were expected to do their 40 hours while homeschooling three children. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, you end up in the woman's dilemma of feeling like you need to do two jobs and you're not doing either of them well. And they never end. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, for me, having kids home, having my dad home, having and then what happened because we really couldn't work effectively in an office. Mm -hmm. Many of the meetings were held in my backyard because I have a big overhang porch that we have a table and you can sit 10 people. Nice. You could, nice. And it's yeah. Southern California, so it's nice outside. So we would have these tech meetings, we would have these staff meetings, and we would show up, everybody would not go in the house, they'd walk out the back door, we'd sit by the pool, I'd have you know food and drinks all separate set out, and we'd sit out like literally on lawn chairs underneath this overhang six feet apart masked yeah. you know having yeah. these insane meetings yeah. um but you talk about hosting a meeting in your house during a pandemic where food is you know, difficult to find and yeah. it, you know it was a little bit of crazy but you know we were all tired you know the yes. emotional part of it 
was yeah. tiring. And, you know, we did some of our best work. We did some of our worst work. You know, it really ran the gamut. But, you know, you talk about blurring. I never really wanted people to see my house. I didn't want to have to clean my house because if they look in the windows, they see what a shipwreck it is in there. And, you know, they're all going to be walking and, you know, I would look in somebody's <laughs> windows, wouldn't you? I mean, hands down, it's just natural curiosity. Um, yeah, that's that's rough. No, I, I understand. And I think that what we needed to, what we need to take forward from this, I think we've, we've learned that we need to, we need to have our boundaries. Uh, we need to respect other people's boundaries. We, we need to be able to walk away and disconnect from all of it. Now, because during the pandemic, 99% of us we were everything people were so freaking tired of you were on zoom all the time or you were on some other kind of you know you were on go to meeting or whatever like it was exhausting it was absolutely exhausting um and i i think that we we i think we've learned and we're seeing a lot of people now protesting like i'm burned out i need a break you're gonna have to respect my boundaries i'm not going to you know to do 60 hour weeks. Um, I think we need to respect, plus for our own mental health, our own physical health, we need to say, okay, we're gonna have boundaries. I'm not gonna answer my phone before nine o'clock in the morning or whatever, you know, because so many of us, I know in my industry, it's very common. You literally have the phone next to the bed because you're working with Europe, you're working with California and people are trying to get a hold of you at, at all hours of the night and day. And, you know, you sleep with that next to your bed and you're like, you hear the beep and you're looking at it's three o'clock in the morning. And I deal with a, a woman who's a, she runs a, a, a very large uh, talent management agency in, in Los Angeles. And I would send her something and it could be three o'clock in the morning and she would answer it. And I'm like, I don't want you to answer it. I just want it to be in your inbox. Please don't answer my, my email at three o'clock in the morning. But we need to train ourselves to get out of that. You've seen yeah. the, 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 you know, like the little skits about here's like in Europe, we take six weeks off and we'll, we'll answer your email when we get back from being in the forest for six weeks and, you know, different things like that. And then you come to America and they're like, oh, well, I, I'm going into surgery. I'll, I'll, when I get into recovery, I'll answer your email. That is the way we are here. And Absolutely. We, I was signing contracts up until I went into the delivery room and the day I delivered my son, they came in with contracts to, for me to sign that afternoon. And the nurses got so mad because they kept sending the stuff through the fax machine. Like they called the hospital, got the oh, fax no. machine because I was the only one who could sign on these accounts and it was holding up things and it was holding up this and holding up that. And I remember this one nurse came in and she's like, I went to nursing school, not secretarial school. And she like oh. smacked these papers down. I called my office. I'm like, send muffin baskets, send fruit baskets. You have like angered the whole maternity yeah. floor. And then people would be coming in with <laughs> signatures. You know, yeah. the, the DS, DHL would come in. We need your signature. We've been rerouted over here. And oh. it was insane. And, you know, only in America. It is. It's true. It's only in America. And I think we need to really start looking at how to create processes and systems where that's not the case. And any of us, <coughs> excuse me, any of us who own our own business, we know it can be 60, 80 hour weeks. It's sure. forever. But we still need to be able to disconnect. We need, and it, whether it's having a trusted lieutenant who can, can do right. things for us so that we can walk away um, or whether we simply set our boundaries and like, no, I am, you can contact me from this hour to this hour and, you know, right. and that's it. Or, or you're going to have to wait on the answer on this contract until Tuesday, you know? Right. And we, sometimes we, it's our own anxiety. Like I learned this yeah. when I did my chemotherapy because, you know, every other Wednesday from Tuesday night to Thursday afternoon, I was out of commission and that's yeah. in the middle of the work week. And I would have to tell people, and what was funny, it was like the Red Sea parted. Like as soon as I said, well, I have to have my infusion. I have, I'm going to be sick this day. I'll be back better. People are like, oh, no problem. Like really, it took cancer to, to, to set the limits in I my schedule. The li I, I don't think it had to be something that extreme. I think that if we tell people, we make it clear. I, I think 
we're not proactive enough about setting boundaries and enforcing yes. them. Right. And I think if we start telling people, you know, I, I'm available to you from this time to this time. Um, and I, I will not, I, more and more, I see more and more agents putting on their websites, their, their Twitter feed, whatever. I will not answer your call or your email on the weekends. I mean, right. they're just, that's it. We're, we're you know, um, and I think that we're learning. We have to set boundaries. We have to enforce them because we only have one us and we burn ourselves out. We're done. That's it. We don't have, we don't have a replacement for us. Um, and it's, and it's hurting our health and it's hurting our, our emotions. And I think that we just need to say enough is enough. Enough is um, enough. And you not know, check our phone and not check our email. Not check our phone. Not because check our phone. Can. You know, you used to have to go in the office to check your email or check your, you know, you could always kind of check your messages at home, but there was a natural boundary and now it's up to us. Yes, exactly. I remember I was working in this industry back in the hard copy days <laughs> when you, you got your mail and that was it. And the person who sent you a submission by fax was usually considered quite a jerk. You know, <laughs> right. Right. 340 you know, pages coming through. I have, yeah, I've had it happen. I had it happen. So, you know, I, I think that's happening in publishing. I think that we're forcing the executives to kind of understand, um, you know, your, your editorial assistant is not a machine. She can't work 80 hours a week. Um, you can't expect her to give up her life, you know, and just because you did it, uh, doesn't mean that anyone else, it wasn't right. good when you did it. It wasn't good for you. So, right. you know, it doesn't, it's not going to be good for people going forward. And I, I know personally, if I'm burned out, if I'm, if I'm overworked, I come into a new submission with a less than optimal kind of attitude. I call uh, it crispy. I'm crispy. I shouldn't be reading all of these submissions because I'm crispy and everything's striking me the wrong way. Yes, exactly. And yeah. you'll see editors usually are super, super loving everything when they just got back from, from two weeks on the beach, you know? Yes. Because we need to unwind. So, you know, it's not helping anybody for us to try to, to try to power through these things. And no. more of us, what we've been doing in publishing is just closing to submissions. I will close to queries. And so does everyone else on my staff when we're overwhelmed, our inboxes are too full, whatever. Okay, we're going to take a break until we've cleaned out everything. We're just going to close. And a lot of authors get really mad or frustrated because they're like, oh man, you know, I really, right. I worked so hard and then I got this submitted, but it's like, you're not machines. I know. So they'll be like, oh shoot, you know, I missed that window. Um, and we feel bad for that. We feel bad about, it. I mean, like we want to keep everybody happy. We want to see your work. We want to, you know, we, we definitely are excited about it. But at the same time, if I have, you know, at one point I had like more than a thousand submissions in my query manager inbox. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, I, I just need to shut it down. I need to, I need to respect the people who've already sent me the work that I go right. through it, catch up with them. Then, you know, because it, it's, it's probably disrespectful for me to even be talking to somebody else. If I have a submission I got months ago, I haven't answered yet. Okay. I need to, I need okay. to answer that first. Here it is. So, it's very simple. Yes. It's cherry picking. Okay. You yeah. can only pick so many cherries and I'm so That's sorry true. that the cherries that don't get picked off the tree rot and fall down. It's not the cherry's fault. It's not the picker's fault. It just is like, that's the thing about picking apples, picking cherries, whatever. In a perfect world, we'd like to get to everything, but we can't. That's a good analogy. I think I always stress to authors that it's not, don't, don't, benefit the agent by sending an exclusive submission to that agent send out submissions to you know a, a select group of people you would really really like to work with um and we will catch up if you get an offer from somebody you tell us tell everybody tell them okay you know we'll we'll then set a priority to to get an answer on that but if you limit yourself I, I'm, I'm just not a fan of exclusive submissions. It's not benefiting the author. And we are no. supposed to be author advocates. So in advocating for the author, I'm telling people, send out, you know, to six, eight, 12, what have you, as long as they're all people you would equally be excited to be represented by. Um, and then, you know, then- well, just, And how about this? And then get working on your next novel. 
Like, they can work why out the are next you moment. sitting around complaining that they haven't gotten back to you? And what I've right. learned from interviewing over 1,800 one-hour interviews <laughs> that authors always have two or three more books in the works. Yes. No, yes. They don't just write one book and send it off and wait no. to be a bestseller. Like they are constantly writing. Angela Breinbach might have three or four, you know, Karen Kingsbury's got, you know, she's writing her book. She's got her TV scripts going out. She's got a movie in production. Like keep going, keep going. Right. Send them out, Send and, it then... out and forget about it and start on the next one. That's and right. you know, Yes, yes, it's a, that's absolutely true. You, that's the only way to survive this. Don't worry about it. Because you know what? That book you just shopped around, it may not be the one that sells. It may be the next one that right. sells. So you've got to keep productive. You've got to keep giving you something new. And sometimes, I mean, I sometimes I take an author on, on one book, and it's the next book, the next book after that, or whatever that sells first. Sometimes we're able to go back and sell the early I ones. But you know, I want to. I want to know as the agent. Even when I represent you, I want to know what else do you have in the pipeline. Let's talk about um, everything. And if you don't have anything else in the pipeline, right. you're not a producer. You're. Not, it's. You're not a career author. You right. need to be thinking about the body of your work. The whole. Right. You know that you have. You know, uh, ideas. Talk to me about your works in progress. Talk to me about concepts. I may really get excited about a concept right now. What what uh, producers want is short stories they want that concept they want that they don't want a big book you know so we're like that's that's what's moving into film rights now or all these short stories that just have snappy great concepts um you know so if you can sit down to talk to me or talk to a film rights agent or producer and say i got here's this concept this concept that concept they may latch on to one i've seen this happen with folks oh yeah that one wow you know, write me a short story of that, you know, and there you go. And it's, it's, it's surprising. So keep, always keep your mind working, keep developing new ideas, write them down, keep, keep a, keep a list of your concepts because you never know when that opportunity is going to present yourself where it's like, somebody's going to say, oh, let's, let's talk about what else you've got going on. That, that just happened. They, we, they've been going to Algonquian writers. They've been going to New York pitch. Um, these, these producers, they want to know what, what, do you, what concepts do you have, you know, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a foot in the door. So keep thinking, keep thinking, keep writing. Absolutely. So yes. Gina, I want to thank you for being my guest today. That hour has flown by. We're here with Gina Panateri at Talcott Notch. You can check her out online and Gina, thank you so much for all your wisdom and for your grace and for giving us really the inside skinny on what's going on in your world. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach Talk Radio.